welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 399 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not really asked you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. All season, I've talked about habits. And that is a frequent topic that comes up on this podcast, habits. Habits are something that you develop over the season. And while I'm not going to discuss habits, a topic that is almost congruent to habits when we talk about a team's development over the season is identity. Identity comes from a lot of things. It comes from a coach. It comes from players. It comes from an organization altogether. But every organization, every good organization wants to have an identity. And that identity, hopefully, is a key contributor to winning. Usually that's what it is. An identity is what is your calling card? What do you lean on that teams can be like oh this is what they're going to do and this is what is successful for them a lot of teams identities are different but at the end of the day great teams good teams almost all teams you ever heard the phrase they don't know their identity i don't know what or they don't know they don't have an identity they usually that statement usually only goes towards bad teams When they say they don't have an identity right now, that statement is only for bad teams. Because if you don't have an identity, it's very hard to, to, to navigate every day or have a game plan on an everyday basis because you do not have a a framework. An identity is pretty much the framework of an organization, the framework of a team. And, What we saw in the AFC championship was one team that has an identity and ran that identity to to a T and leaned on their identity and leaned on those habits and leaned on what got them where they got them. And we saw another team that had an identity, had a winning identity, has a winning identity. Yet, for reasons that we'll discuss, completely diverted from their identity. And as we sit here today, one team obviously advanced and the other team did it. Going into the AFC Championship game, The talk was, can Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, seal the deal? Going into this championship game, they had the better team statistically. They had an all-time defense when we talk about statistics and ranks. Lamar Jackson was likely is going to win his second MVP. 
They had the number one seed, first time in franchise history, I believe, that they hosted an AFC championship game. The blueprint was for the Baltimore Ravens to win. Now, I understand that every game obviously is different. Every opponent is different. And because of that, your game plan for every game obviously is different. The same game plan that you have for, let's say, the Miami Dolphins, you cannot have the same game plan for, let's say, the Tennessee Titans because both teams operate differently. And both teams have different strengths and weaknesses. So the game plan usually changes from team to team. That is understood. And that obviously needs to happen. You can't have the same game plan for every team. But one thing that should never change is your identity and your quote-unquote calling cards that got you to where they got you. And all season, who have the Baltimore Ravens been? The Baltimore Ravens all season has been an extension of what they've been since John Harbaugh came as the head coach and since Lamar Jackson took the realms of the quarterback position from Joe Flacco. It's been a smash-mouth running team. That is the identity of the Baltimore Ravens. They play hard defense. They have defensive studs. And they are a run-first team. And sprinkling in some beautiful passes. The beauty about this year is Lamar Jackson has incredibly improved as a pocket passer. That doesn't take away from how great he is as a runner. And how great he is with his legs, seeing though he's one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league. But he has improved, and he's been one of the best statistical pocket passers in the league this year. But that does not take away from his major strength. And the Ravens have capitalized on that mightily this year. They have built, they've, they have an identity, and they, they lean on that identity every game. Again, the game plan changes when we talk about the team that they play, but their identity stays the same. And going into the AFC Championship, everything lined up for the Ravens. Everything. And this what we talk about legacies and I understand that legacy the legacy talk for different players is is obviously different and more fragile for for different players. Like we drastically change how we discuss Russell Wilson now after these last 2 years in Denver. 
than we did when he was with Seattle. The legacy talk changed because we've received new data. And for Lamar Jackson, now obviously all this is, you know, fan-driven, media-driven, and I'm sure that Lamar Jackson is going to be just fine. But as we speak right now, the way that we discussed Lamar Jackson and the way that we currently discuss Lamar Jackson, there was a chance that it could drastically change. There was a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson's shoulders, whether he feels it or not, whether he believes it or not, whether he wants to acknowledge it or not. There was a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson's shoulders. The pressure of obviously everyone wants to win a Super Bowl. That is everyone's day one goal. Some people are some teams, some people are better equipped to get there. But every team, every player's goal Day one of training camp is how do we get as close as possible to win a Super Bowl? There are certain players that talent is so much higher than other people's that sometimes it's an expectation that you get as close as possible to a Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson finds himself on that list. Let's not get it twisted, bro. Lamar Jackson is one of the best players or yeah, best players in football. That's just that's just honest. So there's a lot of expectations to that. And on top of that, like I said, the legacy talk for Lamar Jackson had the the opportunity was there as far as drastically talk or it could drastically change how we discuss Lamar Jackson if he would have won this game again he there has never been a there has never been a pure dual threat quarterback to win a Super Bowl you can argue Lamar Jackson, I mean, uh, Russell Wilson when he was with um, the Seahawks. You can argue Patrick Mahomes, but they don't run out of design. They run out of necessity. And Patrick Mahomes, he is a capable runner, but I wouldn't consider him a dual threat quarterback. I would say that if he needs to get out the pocket to make a big play or two, he will do that. Same as Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is probably one of the best, when he was with Seattle, is probably one of the best off-script players because if a play broke down, he would use his legs to extend the play. He wouldn't, it's not like a, Lamar Jackson's different. Lamar Jackson is a north-south type runner, and you can design play. He's He's probably one of, if not the best dual threat quarterback we have ever seen. And there's a different way how dual threat quarterbacks obviously approach the, the game. And again, there was ne- there's never been a dual threat quarterback to win a Super Bowl. The closest that they've gotten, obviously, was what Jalen Hurts last year. And but he ev- isn't even on the same level as Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50. 
So that legacy was on Lamar Jackson as well. The 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 expectations of there's there's always been a stigma with dual threat quarterbacks. There's always been a stigma with African American quarterbacks as well, but right now we're discussing the dual threat quarterbacks. And Lamar Jackson had the opportunity to rewrite the book for how they viewed dual threat quarterbacks. And I'm not saying that he had to win. But to make it to a Super Bowl would have changed that narrative, changed that dynamic drastically because we look at people like Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson as the greatest to do it at the dual threat quarterback position. I talked about this before with Josh Allen and the Bills, especially last year and I think last year and this year. I talk about when the stars align and how it's very rare for the stars align for a team, for a player. And when the stars align for that team or player, you have to capitalize because there is a chance that those stars will never align again. It just so happened that it did it twice in a row for the Buffalo Bills and twice in a row they didn't capitalize. The stars aligned for the Baltimore Ravens this year. Again, all the factors that I said, being the number one seed, having a historically uh, statistical, statistically historic defense, Lamar Jackson, the MVP, possibly, more than likely, yes. Playing at home in the AFC Championship. Going against... You can argue the weakest that the Kansas City Chiefs will ever be. And in the biggest moment, for some reason, you decided to go against your identity. And I'm here to tell everyone that's listening, when you go against your identity, 9.5 times out of 10, it does not go the way that you would like it to go. The Baltimore Ravens lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 17-10 to in the AFC Championship. Now, we talked about identity, and we talked about game plan, and I understand that the game plan changes. Sometimes it changes from half to half. It has to. 
That's what halftime adjustments usually is. You have to change some things in the game plan. Some things you don't have to change. It can be so successful, you don't have to change it at halftime. And when I say that the Baltimore Ravens completely went against their identity, what do I mean? What is the identity of the Baltimore Ravens? The identity is smash mouth football. They run the football a lot. They were the number one rushing team this year, with even with J.K. Dobbins out for the whole year and having you know Mitchell go out. Keenan Mitchell go out for the for the whole year with a torn ACL, or for the rest of the year with a torn ACL late in the season, with Gus Edwards and and Hall, and they added. Dalvin Cook. They were the number one, and of course with Lamar Jackson, they were the number one rushing team this year. And I guess you can credit, if you want to give credit more than blame, I guess you can credit uh, Spagnolias, the coach or defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. He had a masterful game plan going against the Baltimore Ravens. But some of his game plan didn't dictate or didn't, didn't, shouldn't, let's say, have changed the game plan or the identity of the Baltimore Ravens. So the number one rushing team, the team that has dominated rushing the ball the team that has dominated when Lamar Jackson has been a legit dual threat quarterback the same team that saw Lamar Jackson rush for a hundred yards just a week before rushed with their running backs again this is the same team that led the league in rushing. With both of their running backs, Gus Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, they had six rushes the entire game for those two running backs. Six rushes. And Lamar Jackson had eight of them. So I don't know if you're that good at math. That's 14 rushes from the number one rushing team in the league. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that the Kansas City Chiefs came into this game as the number two ranked scoring off defense in the league. They were going against the number one scoring defense in the league in the Baltimore Ravens, but I understand that this Chiefs team is really good on defense. But let let me not... Let's, let me not let you forget that this is the same Chiefs team that allowed, I think, 185 rushing yards just a week prior to the Buffalo Bills. What we saw was a team that 
allowed the game. No, that's not even true. I was going to say that we saw the team that allowed the game and allowed how the allowed the defense to dictate what they did on offense, but that wasn't necessarily true. It just seemed like they which is the most baffling thing for me is they decided to go against what got them there. And they decide I understand that the the game plan for any team that's going against the Baltimore Ravens is make Lamar Jackson a pocket passer. Not saying that he can't beat you as a pocket passer, but he you're more than likely to you're more likely to lose when he is a pure dual threat quarterback. Again, last year he threw for like 180 and and ran for 100 yards. You're not going to beat Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens that way. So what they did was they said, all right, we're going to take away the rushing and allow if Lamar, if the Baltimore Ravens beat us because Lamar Jackson throws for 300, 400 yards and throws all over the field, we're going to tip our hats and say good game. But what we will not do is turn Lamar Jackson into a, a pure dual threat quarterback and not beat us with his legs because the one thing that can kill us, and that is the Baltimore, or the Kansas City Chiefs, is Lamar Jackson's legs. So I understand that's the game plan going in, but if you look at the game, the Chiefs played a masterful defense. They rushed, they, they blitzed Lamar Jackson damn near 90% of the time that game. But there was moments and there was opportunities where Lamar Jackson could have broke for some. The Lamar Jackson held the ball way too long because it felt like he just was, the game plan was just, yo, Lamar Jackson, make a play. And Lamar, I don't know if Lamar Jackson just wanted to prove that, oh, I see what you guys are doing. I can beat you that way or what. But watching the Ravens, in the AFC Championship, did not look like the Ravens offensively. Because let's not get it twisted. The Ravens' defense came to play. You held Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and this team to, I think, three second-half points. But it was just the offense. The offense couldn't get right. The offense kept sputtering. The offense, if you want to talk about blame, a blame pie, a lot of people, I'm a visual learner, (laughs) so let me just speak for myself. I'm a visual learner, so the blame pie helps me put things into context, right? And think of the whole pie as as a percentage. The whole pie is obviously 100%. When we talk about blame slices, I think 40% of this loss for the Ravens, 40% is Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has to be better. We can talk about the interception. The interception was brutal. I understand that Isaiah likely said he was open, but I can say do something. Doesn't mean that you have to do it. Doesn't mean that you're the quarterback. You have to be smart enough to know he Isaiah likely thinks he's open even though there's literally three <laughs> defenders around him. 
you can't throw that ball, especially when even though hope was was fading fast, you were still in the game. You were down, what, 10 points with like six and a half minutes left. And that interception killed it all, killed every last. The, the hope was dwindling, right, throughout the game because it's just you just saw drive after drive after drive where the offense, the defense was was stepping up because at first it was looking it was looking bleak at first like it looked like it was about to be a, a, there was a possibility it can be a blowout by the Kansas City Chiefs but the defense got grounded got centered and played their brand of football so but you just felt dry, offensive drive after offensive drive three and outs three and outs uh you get close and then a mistake happens an interception a strip fumble or a strip sack it just felt like the the hope on the crowd, the hope watching the game just kept slightly decreasing. And that interception just did it, just took it out. So 40% goes to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has to be better. And... I understand the people that now, because I understand it's interesting. We talk about narratives on this podcast sometimes, and it's interesting how the conversation about Lamar Jackson changed just a week. In one week, it changed, and and again, I understand why you received new information. So obviously, it's going to change. Just a week ago, Lamar Jackson was clearly the second best quarterback in the league and I, and I respect a lot of people that was saying the real test obviously is the AFC championship against who everyone pretty much considers the best quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes because there's a difference between playing CJ Stroud even though CJ Stroud was great all year there's a difference between playing a rookie quarterback and pretty much a very one of the youngest teams in football compared to playing a potential dynasty in the Kansas City Chiefs. So obviously the talk is going to be different, you know. But it's interesting how the con the conversation around Lamar has changed and rightfully so. Lamar Jackson didn't play great. I understand you can look at it. He had 272 yards. He threw or ran for 70 or 54 yards, but he had one touchdown. But that's it. He needed he needed to be better. I'm not going to go as far as say a choke job that someone like Stephen A. Smith is saying, but I do think that if we're talking about a blame pie, Lamar Jackson gets 40%. Because even the game plan, and that's Lamar Jackson seeing as though he has been one of the best players in the league all season. He is more than likely going to win the MVP, He, which is his second MVP. And Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, has built the cachet to make decisions if he sees things changing. There are some quarterbacks that don't like to change the play, uh, I think Russell Wilson has been famous for that. Like Lamar, Russell Wilson, if you give a play, if you call a play, it doesn't matter what the defense looks like. Lamar, it, Russell Wilson has the reputation of he's going to run that play. 
even though he's built the cachet so that he can change it, he's going to do that. I'm giving Lamar Jackson 40%, not only because he needs to play well, but there were instances where, okay, you're giving me a lane. I understand that the game plan might not be to run the ball. I understand that, you know, the play might not be for me, might not be for me to run the ball, but that is my that is a superpower for me. That is a lethal weapon for me. And we're playing against a defense that it has been here before. We're playing against a defense that is trying to make me stay in the pocket. And while he thinks he can beat people in the pocket, which he can, they're still giving me lanes. And those lanes are very beneficial. You know what it is? Last week, we talked about Josh Allen going for the kill shot. And how Josh Allen, there were multiple times when Josh Allen just needed to take the check down. If he would have taken the check down, things could have ended differently. But Josh Allen has an innate innate feeling that he needs to go for the kill shot. He needs to go for the 30, 40, 60 yard bomb instead of getting the seven, five, six yard check down. Well, that cost him essentially in the game. For Lamar Jackson, yo, I understand that they're trying you you have to understand that they're trying to make me pass the ball. And maybe he doesn't I'm not gonna disrespect Lamar Jackson's intelligence, but get off the ball or run it. There is a lane. So instead of getting no yards, or instead of getting a strip sack, or instead of getting a sack. Get five rushing yards. Get seven rushing yards. So now it could be three and three instead of three and 12 or instead of three and 10 or instead of a turnover because you got stripped. Lamar Jackson has built up that cachet that even if the game plan is, yo, Lamar Jackson, we're not going to run the ball. We are going to throw the ball. He he has the cachet to say, oh, hold up. That is not smart at all. Like, I res- he respects Todd Munkin. He respects John Harbaugh. That's not going to work. That shouldn't work. They're giving me lanes. Take those lanes. Willie Gay, one of their fastest linebackers, is out. They're, we are go- they're going to give us rushing lanes yes they're good but they're not as fast as me and the thing that was so frustrating about watching that game especially if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan is the the game plan was very smart and masterful for the Kansas City Chiefs but it didn't essentially take away the rush It didn't take away the rush for the Ravens. The Ravens just stopped doing it. That's why you see a lot of media pundits talking about it's coaching malpractice because they literally went against their identity in the biggest moment of of the season. And they and and you wonder why they lost. A team that is that just scored 30, what, four points. A week ago, a team that blew out multiple 
playoff teams, including a two teams that played in the NFC Championship, only scored 10 points. Why do you think that is? Yes, the and don't get me wrong, I'm not taking anything away from the Kansas City Chiefs defense, but the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens did not go or leaned against their identity, which goes to back to the blame pie. 40% has to go to the coaching staff. So that's 40% Lamar Jackson, 40% coaching staff. Let's say 50% coaching staff. That was, in my opinion, one of the, I'm not going to disrespect it and say dumbest, but that was one of the most head-scratching game plans I have ever seen. The Ravens got there playing one way and thought that they were going to play a different way. I understand that, again, you're playing against the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that has been to, what, five straight? Maybe four out of the last five Super Bowls? So I understand that you have to tweak things, but you don't have to just completely scrap your identity. This ain't college. So 50% has to go to the coaching staff. You have to look at this and say that this was a colossal failure. Because even if you look at, even if you don't want to talk, take the whole season, even if you want to throw away the whole season, you can put a carpet, you can put a blanket in front of the whole season and just look at this game. The defense came up, came to play. Yes, it was shaky in the beginning. The defense came to play. Like, Roquan Smith was playing a great game. Kyle Hamilton, I would argue that if they would have won this game, Kyle Hamilton would have been the AFC MVP of the game. He was everywhere on defense. Well, yes, he did give up, or he was the main guy on Travis Kelsey. Kyle Hamilton was great. I'm not taking anything away from Kyle Hamilton. He was the best Ravens player on the field all game. So the defense did what they were supposed to do. It was the offense and the offensive game plan. Todd Munkin. Which is hilarious because I know a lot of people have pointed this out, which is funny, that people, one of the things that got Greg Roman out of here is he he ran the ball too much and his offenses didn't allow Lamar Jackson to grow as a passer. Todd Munkin, who was great majority of the year, just completely scrapped the run. And the offense sputtered, and the offense is the main re the biggest reason why they lost this game. So 40% Lamar Jackson, 50% coaching staff, which leaves 10%. That's where I'll put it on Zay Flowers. And it's not just Zay Flowers. It's Zay Flowers. I'll say Zay Flowers is... Five percent. He's young, but you can't. It is taught you don't reach out. You didn't have to reach out. 
I understand that that the fumbling in the end zone rule is going to probably be looked at and possibly changed, but come on. You can't you can't fumble the ball at the end zone. That that is another play that completely zapped the the optimism, completely zapped all hope out of the crowd. This was the first drive in the second half where the Ravens were getting some type of momentum. And it felt like we were watching the old Ravens outside of obviously not not running the ball. We it looked like we were looking at the the Ravens that we saw all season. And you get to the goal line after making an incredible catch and you fumble it. And then the other 5%, so if we're just keeping together, 40% Lamar Jackson, 50% coaching staff and game plan going in, 5% solely on Zay Flowers, and 5% on composure. I understand that the Kansas City Chiefs were barking as well. But penalty after, you know, roughing the passer penalty, pretty much slapping Patrick Mahomes in the face mask or Davion Clowney going up and putting the crown of your helmet at the on on uh, Patrick Mahomes chin. That's going to be called every time or barking back and forth and Kyle Van Noy coming in. You know, as a veteran, that they're always going to get the second person. You don't need to do that. Penalties killed them. Defensive pass interference, holdings, it killed them. Before I go back, before I go and talk about the Chiefs a little bit, I heard Lamar Jackson say, I talk about the stars aligning and how it's very rare for them to align again and how the greatness of Josh Allen allowed the stars align twice, two years in a row for the Bills. In two years in a row, they failed. Lamar Jackson said that they're going to be back. And the same exact thing that I said about the Cincinnati Bengals when they went to the Super Bowl and a lot of people were saying that they're going to repeat and they're going to get back. The Cincinnati Bengals have not been back since. They went to an AFC championship, but back to the Super Bowl, they have not been back since. What I'm saying is, when you get, when the stars align, you have to capitalize. This, there is a very good chance. There is a very likely chance that this Baltimore Ravens team is going to look drastically different next year because they have so many free agents and so many contract decisions they have to make from uh, Metabike, from Patrick Queen, from Odell Beckham Jr., from Jadavion Clowney, players that played vital roles for this team. And the Baltimore Ravens don't have that much cap room. So a lot of key players that were important, Geno Stone, a lot of key players that were important probably aren't going to be here next year. 
Gus Edwards. Mallet. So I say, I would love, I'm, I, I would love Baltimore and Lamar Jackson to get back here, but this, and I, I, that's nothing is guaranteed in this league. So when you have opportunity that you have, you have to take it, which is why this is such a devastating loss for the Ravens. They were the better team. The overall team, they were the better team. They just ran into a better player and their game plan completely, excuse my language, bit them in the ass. They, their game plan went against their identity, and that's ultimately what lost them the game. Talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, there's no question at this point who the greatest, who, who, mm-hmm. I'll say this. I'll say it like this. This is one of the greatest runs I've ever seen from a player and a team. When we talk about the totality of the season and to get to this point, one of the greatest runs I've ever seen. And it really emphasizes how great Patrick Mahomes and this team is. No, how great Patrick Mahomes is. You see, this is the same exact team that led the league in drops this year. This is the same exact team that we looked and said that this could possibly be a one-and-done team. It's the same team that we looked at and said they do not have a number one receiver. And honestly, they don't. They have Travis Kelsey, who we'll talk about in a second, but this they don't have a number one receiver. This is the same team that we questioned while yes we know their defense is good their offense is not good enough to win a game in the playoffs this is also a team that this is the first Patrick Mahomes team has been underdogs in every single playoff game outside of I think the Miami Dolphins game but I think that was a pick'em game this there's no doubt in my mind right now that we are put, we are watching the greatest quarterback of all time. I understand that there are accolades. And Patrick Mahomes can't touch the accolades that Tom Brady has accumulated over the years. But if we're talking about the complete package, if we're talking about talent, if we're talking about poise, if we're talking about arm strength, if we're talking about uh accuracy if we're talking about the intangibles if we're talking about accolades in a certain extent if we're talking about just complete package we have never in my opinion seen a player better than Patrick Mahomes there's a reason why when when we talk about there's a reason why we talk about 
Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, no, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady differently. There's a reason why when we talk about Aaron Rodgers, we say he's arguably one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. But when we talk about Tom Brady, we say, oh, he's arguably the best we've ever seen. You blend that together and you get Patrick Mahomes. One of the biggest reasons, and I don't want to go back to the Baltimore Ravens. I spent damn near 40 minutes talking about the Ravens. One of the biggest reasons why we thought that this would this was the game, this was the legacy-defining game for Lamar Jackson is because of the opponent. Patrick Mahomes has built himself to that point where he is a legacy-defying game now. The legacy is, can you beat Patrick Mahomes? Can you outduel Patrick Mahomes? Because Patrick Mahomes is the gold standard for the NFL. Patrick Mahomes is undoubtedly, the question isn't who is the greatest player right now. No, the question is, are we watching the greatest player ever? And right now, for me and for a lot of people, because that's been the conversation all week, it's hard for me to pick somebody else. I understand that what Tom Brady did, you know, with all the rings and Tampa Bay and New England, but he, as a player, Patrick Mahomes is what? 15 and three right now in the playoffs? 15 wins in the playoffs, I believe. 14 or 15 wins in the playoffs and three losses. Two of them is the Tom Brady. One of them is the Joe Burrow, which is why when we talk about the, the um, power rankings for quarterbacks, which is why a lot of people put Joe Burrow at two, because what? He beat Patrick Mahomes. That's why when we talk about tiers of quarterback, that's why it's very hard for people to elevate Josh Allen. That's why it's hard for people to elevate Lamar Jackson, they have great regular seasons, but when they get to those defining moment games, when they get to that game against that guy, that is Patrick Mahomes, they come up short. In the playoffs, they come up short. Again, we could have been talking about Lamar Jackson so much differently if he would have won this game, but he didn't. We're watching in my opinion, the greatest quarterback of all time. We're also watching, in my opinion, arguably the greatest tight end of all time. He broke Jerry Rice's, uh, Jerry Rice receiving record in the playoffs. Travis Kelsey, a tight end. He went 11 for 11 for 116 yards. Now, yes, I understand that. I just said that Kyle Hamilton had a great game, but there are levels. And Travis Kelsey is on a different level. And if you look, that's that was it. Pat, uh, Isaiah Pacheco ran for or ran for sixty eight yards, twenty four carries. Rice only had eight receptions for forty six yards. Valdez Scanley had the game ceiling reception, for two receptions, thirty eight yards. It was literally, I would say. The, D, the Ravens defense, D 
did what they were supposed to do. It was just the offense didn't. And there's only so much or there's only so much holding down you can do for Patrick Mahomes before he gets up. And once he gets up, it's a wrap. I'm going to wait to give my Super Bowl predictions when we get closer to it, but we're watching the greatest quarterback of all time, in my opinion. And we are officially watching a dynasty at work. The questions were different for both championship games. The narrative was different for both championship games. Obviously, they're four different teams, but we talk about identity. And the identity for the Ravens and the Chiefs are much different than the identities for the Lions and the the 49ers. And it felt like the whole conversation around the 49ers and Lions is proof and proving it. There was a lot of things that needed to be proven in this game. I talked about this when we talk about Lamar Jackson, when we talk about other players, is that people don't like to get off of their opinions. People don't like to be wrong. And there are people that are that were that were questioning a lot <laughs> about the 49ers in particular job Brock Purdy I'm going to I'm going to wait to talk about the to the winners I'm going to wait to talk about the 49ers let me let me talk about the Lions and the Lions is the perfect example of what I mean by identity Identity, your identity, a team's identity, like I said, isn't just from the players. It's from the head coaches. It's from the GMs. It's from higher management. It's just from the culture of the team. For as long as I've known, outside of the AFC Championship, the Ravens have had the same identity since their birth. Who else? Uh, The Dolphins have had pretty much a high-octane Identity for a minute. The Lions defense or the Lions identity all season has been all or nothing, smash mouth, risk it for the biscuit. Let's say that. <laughs> Let's say that. They've gone in with the risk it for the biscuit. It is it's it's a running joke at this point that Dan Campbell has never seen a fourth down that he doesn't like. Because <laughs> that's the reputation that he's built this season. He is a all-or-nothing coach. And the team has, has developed that mindset. In a lot of instances, it works. Hell, a lot of the instances of it working what is, is what got the Detroit Lions to their first 
NFC Championship since, what, the 50s, I think. So I'm not here saying that what Dan Campbell is doing is right or wrong. I'm not here saying that. Obviously, there is a lot of right because there's only two teams to make it to the NFC Championship, and his team was one of them. This is the same team that a couple years ago, maybe just two seasons ago, I believe, was 3-13. and So something's going on that works. But the risk for (laughs) the mindset of risk it for the biscuit is when those risks don't pay off. And there are times that when those risks don't pay off, it, it could lose you games. Now, risking it can obviously get you to where it needs to get you. All or nothing mindset. You win and you win big. But it can also lose you games. And one thing that it can do that we talk about a lot on this podcast and that you talk about a lot in sports is it can drastically change momentum if you do get it or if you don't. The Detroit Lions, they were the feel-good story of this NFL season. Again, we talk about the long lineage uh, or the long history of disappointment for the franchise, for the organization, and the fact that just just look at their playoff run. You go against... The Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions goes against their former their former quarterback for years in Matthew Stafford. You go against him at home. Matthew Stafford and the team that he left you for to go win a Super Bowl and ultimately won. You play against them, and you beat you dethrone you beat the team the guy that has. All his name and damn near every offensive record and his name attached to almost every team positive offensive record that you've ever accumulated. You dethrone him. And then. Then you go and you play the team that nobody expected to be here in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you play the quote-unquote Cinderella team. You get them out of here. And you have one of the best historical offensive games from a total offensive perspective we've ever seen. And then you go against the number one seed. In in your first divisional championship in, or conference championship in decades. Now, 
the whole risk it for the biscuit mindset was front and center in this game. The Detroit Lions built up a 24-7 lead. Now, the thing that I understand about football and the thing that you have to understand about sports is, and we've seen multiple occasions of this, momentum swings. And momentum is swung. Momentum is a glorious thing to obtain. It is a glorious thing to obtain because it's damn near a cheat code because of how devastating and how tough it is when you A, lose it, and when you B, have to go against it. The Detroit Lions had all the momentum from the first and second quarter. And I think it's, I think it's smart, and it, it has to be. I don't, I'm not saying he doesn't have one, but it's smart to have a level-headed, level-headed voice on your team and a level-headed voice on your roster. Now, I'm, that's no disrespect to Dan Campbell. That's no disrespect to Ben Johnson, who uh, report did come out and say he is not going to take the head coaching job for Seattle or Washington. He's going to stay with Detroit. Shouts out to you. Um, that's major, but you have to have a level-headed person in your organization because when you have a risk it for the biscuit quarterback or a risk it for the biscuit coach, there are times when that should not be fathomable. Like, yo, we cannot, we have to do it. Don't time out, time out. We, we can we have to talk about this at nauseum. Because what you're thinking about is, I know it's grand and I know it's important, but that may not be the smartest thing to do. Let me first say that I've never seen a team get 17, 24 straight points as effortlessly as, I, as, I, as the San Francisco 49ers did. Never. I look, they scored 17 straight in the third, like a basketball team in the third quarter alone. I was like a lot of people in America. When I watched it at halftime, when they went up 24-7, I was like, oh, this game is over. Done for. Dunzo. People are going to... I mean, we know Kyle Shanahan had the history of being when he's down, especially at half, his percent his winning percentage is like terrible. Maybe like one in thirty or something like that. I'm not Dan Campbell is an incredible coach. Jared Goff has been incredible this entire year. He was good this game. Uh, he threw for 273 yards. The rushing game was great. Jameer Gibbs had 45 yards. David Montgomery had uh, 93 yards. Sam Laporta had 97 yards. Amara St. Brown had 87 yards. James, 
Josh Reynolds dropped a bunch of passes, bro. I feel bad for him because I know his men just went crazy. He dropped like two that I can think of off the bat, two vital catches. He just dropped. But there was multiple instances where you can either go for it on fourth down or get three points. I can think of two off my head. One being at the end of the game, obviously, and one being, I think it was the third quarter when the Saint, I mean, the 49ers were already on that run. All you had to do was go for, like, you lost. The final score was 34 to 31. That's six points on the board. You would have won by two points, three points. And you go for it on fourth down. And that's another thing. You have to understand, feel the momentum. I understand maybe going for it, not going for it in, in the second quarter. I get it. You're, already, you're up 24 points or 21 points. I get that. But the game was 24 to 27 in the fourth quarter. You see the whole second half, y'all struggling to get anything. Take the points. Tie the game up at 27. Trust your defense. And they didn't do that. And they lost. It was a great season for the Lions. uh, But that risk it for the biscuit (laughs) mentality, it's great when it works. When When it's working, it's working. But when it's not, and you're going against that momentum, field goals can kill and swing momentum as well. I understand soaking seven points, but uh, in that second half, those were hard to come by. Points in general for your team was hard to come by. The Detroit Lions... Yeah. And in the second half, Dan Campbell was outcoached. That doesn't take away from how great of a season he did, but that's just the God honest truth. He was outcoached. Kyle Shanahan in that second half put on a coaching clinic against the Lions. And some of the coaching decisions went talking about going forward on fourth down and stuff like that. That plays into it. It has to. It felt like the Lions were in the best position to win and the whole risk it for the biscuit mindset took them out of it at times. And for the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan put them in the best position to win and they seized it. Let's talk about the 49ers for a second because... We talk about things to prove. I talked about this game probably every game, every team had something to prove. But this, this, the question that was attached to the 49ers was, is Brock Purdy an elite quarterback? And a lot of people were saying he needs to do, I was one of the people saying that I need to see him do it against in, in the biggest moments. And we know the type of team that he has. And we know 
the supporting cast is incredible, but can he do it? Can he be the man to do it? And one thing that I will say is Brock Purdy was incredible. That second half. Oof, cool chill. He, for the entire game, he went 20 for 31, 267 yards, and made, rushed for 48 yards. And those were like Patrick Mahomes rushes. Like, I'm not rushing the ball to run, but they were huge 10, 15, 20-yard rushes because it, it caught the team off guard. I'm not saying that Brock Purdy is on the same level as Patrick Mahomes or or Josh Allen or or Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow. But I am putting respect on his name. I came in here and I've said and and I do believe this to a certain extent that if you put a different quarterback for the 40 on the 49ers that they would still see the same amount of success as a team. But then I thought that's not necessarily true. Because there's there's a lot of things that I've seen from Brock Purdy or I've seen out of Brock Purdy that a lot of people don't do. I've seen clutch p- plays, cut clutch passes that I haven't seen from someone like a Tua Tungvaloa that I haven't seen from someone like, I don't know, Kurt Cousins. Brock Purdy, obviously he is the, not he's going to be the second best quarterback in the Super Bowl, but Brock Purdy did silence my critiques from him. Things that I understand are still the same. Like Christian McCaffrey is still their best piece on offense. He rushed for 90 yards, two touchdowns, and they still have incredible pieces. Debo went for 89 yards. Uh, Brandon Ayuk has some incredible catches uh, for 68 yards and a touchdown. Christian McCaffrey caught for 42 yards. Kyle Juszczyk caught for 33 yards. And George Kittle uh, caught for 27 yards. They still have an incredible unit. And Kyle Shanahan coached his ass off in that second half. But any questions that you had about Brock Purdy should have been answered. He is every bit an elite quarterback. I do think that he does get a lot of help, but he... A lot of questions that I had about him, he answered. In this, not just this game, but the playoff run, even though there were some questionable decisions going against the, when when they were going against the Green Bay Packers that could have drastically decided the game in a different direction, they didn't happen, or it, it didn't. And he played masterful. Brock Purdy played masterful the second half of this Lions game. And now the 49ers, which believed that they should have been at least Super Bowl bound last year. And if it wasn't for Brock Purdy getting hurt, they thought that last year was going to be their time to win the Super Bowl. Well, this year they have 
they have the stars aligned for them, and they seize it. They're in the play. They're in the Super Bowl, going against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Incredible, incredible second half from this team. An incredible run for Brock Purdy in this team. Again, I will save my uh, Super Bowl predictions and break and everything close to the game. But shouts out to the Kansas City Chiefs for beating the Baltimore Ravens 17-10 to and advancing to the Super Bowl. And shouts out to the 49ers for beating the Detroit Lions for 34-31. and And lastly, before we go, we have the unpopular topic of the day. There are times when you can see problems on the horizon. Now... Some to some solutions. You ever you ever watched a, a medicine commercial, a pill commercial, and the pills to, or the medicine helps you with whatever you have to do or whatever the medicine is built to help you with. However, there's usually side effects, and it usually says side effects include nausea, heartburns. You know what I'm saying? While, yes, that medicine is a solution for something, it also has the opportunity to cause problems elsewhere. That doesn't mean the medicine isn't good. It just means that it's good for one thing, but there is an, it, it could cause so many other stuff. But it will help with that thing. In basketball, there has been a issue, a problem with rest and work and 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 load management there's been a problem with tv companies and major companies getting these prime time games and the nba mapping out these prime time games and a lot of their stars do elect not to play in those prime time games for rest or whatever and the NBA and the NBA PA came out with a decision that we are now going to put a cap on or we're going to put. Yeah, we're going to put a cap on what you can't or the games that you can miss before you. Before you are unable to be eligible for a lot of things, I think you have to play like you can only miss like 13 or 14 games before like if you miss over that count you can't be in the all nba you can't be considered for any awards you can't be considered for any nba like all pro all nba teams we talk about we talk about how that's going to initially affect players like a John Moran and how it affect his money with the all-star and being suspended and Draymond Green you know we talk about those players but what's interesting and I started this segment with you can see a problem before it comes I see I again I understand why this what this the whole games play threshold happened because the league wanted the league wanted to make a point to stop 
load management because it is bad for the game, especially when we talk about money wise and and primetime games, your favorite players sitting out. So you you just have a bunch of role players on a primetime game. So I get that. But kind of like the pill commercial. That thresh that that game threshold helps with that. It does help with load management to a point, but there's other side effects. And we're we're I think we're going to we're seeing the side effect. Look no further than Tyrese Halliburton and Joel Embiid. Tyrese Halliburton, who is an all-star starter, has been one of the best point guards in the league all season. He leads the league in assists. He has been incredible. When we're building a list of point guards and we're building a list of guards in general, you'd be remiss. Not You couldn't go too much down the list before you hit Tyrese Halliburton this season. A lot of people are saying that he is the best point guard in the league right now. I don't say that, but I understand that. I understand he's had an incredible year. I'm not taking any away from Tyrese Halliburton. Everything, all the accolades, all the acknowledgement that he is getting, he has definitely earned. But Tyrese Halliburton finds some, there, there's an issue. I think Tyrese Halliburton is like three or four games away and still a whole second half of the season, but three or four games away from from over over or hitting that threshold and going over the threshold of games that you can miss before or and once you go over that threshold, you're not eligible for all NBA teams. You're not eligible for all pro teams. Well, how are you going to have somebody that can very well and more than likely going to end the season, whether he misses three or four more games due to injury, which of course I don't wish injury on any anybody, but what if he gets injured again? Again, you have a whole nother half of the season. Are you telling me that you're going to leave the, assist leader off because he missed X amount of games due to injury, but he still finished the season leading the league in assist. You're telling me that you're going to drastically affect his money and his outcome because he could not help getting hurt because I mean, if you're playing basketball, you're going to get hurt. That's just, that's just how it is. You're telling me that you're now going to affect his paycheck and everything because he couldn't help with getting like with not getting hurt, but he still led the league in this in assist. And with Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid is like, I think eight or nine games away. And we know the history of Joel Embiid, how he gets hurt and, you know, with back injuries and stuff, the way that he's built and his play style is very hard to stay healthy, especially for him. But Joel Embiid is averaging damn near 40 points a game. Joel Embiid is the front runner for the MVP. It's almost his award to lose at this point. Joel Embiid has been by far the best player in basketball 
Every single night he stepped on the floor. And that is in a league with Nikola Jokic, who's a two-time MVP, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's a two-time MVP, Steph Curry, who's a two-time MVP, uh, LeBron James, who's a four-time MVP. All these players, Joel Embiid has been head and shoulders the best player in basketball. And that's even with Luka dropping 73 the other night. But what if Joel Embiid gets hurt? What if Joel Embiid, I don't know, has a back injury? Again, I'm not wishing injury on anyone. But what if he gets hurt and misses 10, 11 games, but still finishes still finishes and leads the league in scoring? You're telling me that he now can't win the MVP and has to it has to just go to somebody else because he missed he went a few games over the threshold even though he's still averaging like 40 points a game. Again, I get the intent. Like the pill commercial, I understand how it affects load management and how it essentially is a direct is a di- direct deterrent for load management. But what happens if you have a player like Tyrese Halliburton, like Joel Embiid, that is injured and close to missing that threshold, still finishes the season but misses 20, 25 games because of injury, but still leads the league in assists and still leads the league in scoring? Are you telling me that they can't win a, uh, the MVP? And then what if who wins the MVP? Like, what if they win? What if somebody else wins the MVP? And it's like, well, Joel Embiid, he he only lost, he only won because he missed X amount of games, but he still led the league in scoring. It's tough, man. I see a problem on the horizon. I think that if and when, because I think that this year it may very well affect. The MVP race, the all defense race, the all NBA race, all, 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 all awards, all the awards, I think it's definitely going to affect it. And I think we very well may see change, may have to see change, grand opening and grand closing, or I'll say grand altering for this decision because trust and believe it is going to affect something like like the MVP which is huge and there you have it that's been today's episode of the unpopular podcast I truly truly appreciate you guys if you want a popular podcast shirt hoodie sweater long sleeve joggers the link is in the description below I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, man. I appreciate everyone. I'm trying to get as many subscribers as I can. I post daily, pretty much. I post every new episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. It means a lot. Also, please subscribe to the DSPs if you do listen on the DSPs. No, uh, no listener, no viewer is bigger than the other. I appreciate and love all of you guys. So whether that's Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, please follow it or subscribe. It means a lot. Also, 
follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I post pretty much daily. It, you know, that's probably the best way to get to me. Just keep it respectful. And if you want to debate about something, I will happily respond again just keep it respectful but yeah follow the socials follow tiktok follow instagram you can get you know reels and and stories and post you know the links in the description below and until next time much love mm-hmm.